0: Welcome to the Homeschooling Workshop cassette tape series. This is tape number one, entitled, Why Homeschool? Our instructor is Mr. Greg Harris, author of The Christian Homeschool and director of Christian Life Workshops. If you have further questions regarding Christian homeschooling, please write to us at Christian Life Workshops, 180 Southeast Kane Road, Gresham, Oregon. Nine seven zero eight zero. We will be glad to send you a resource packet of information to help you teach your children successfully at home. This packet is free for the asking, but if you can do so, please include one dollar to cover our postage and handling. In this first introductory session, Greg will present three major advantages of homeschooling. The social advantage, the academic advantage, and the lifestyle advantage. Now here's Greg with Why Home School. Let's go on and read as
1: Dr. Laffey continues.
0: And this is
1: a frightening observation. I wonder why this does not get more attention today. It is somehow easier to pass the child in hopes that she can catch up the following year. A feat which would, of course, require mastering three semesters of academic work in two semesters when previously the student had only mastered one semester's work in two semesters. Hence, a 300% increase in the learning rate. When a child is passed into the next grade without being ready, the child is sentenced to trying to do a 300% increase, and there's no basis for expecting that to happen. But because of the social passing mentality, the teachers feel that to hold the child back would be a terrible thing to him socially. He would lose his friends. He would not be able to stay with his age mates. And so his academic are sacrificed to the child's sensitive self-image in the context of an age-segregated school system, and the children are not growing up. They are passing through. Now there are many here, perhaps, who have a background or experience in the schools. And what I'm saying, what I'm sharing, what Dr. Laffey has written here, is probably not news to you, although perhaps it hasn't been put in these terms. Quite so clearly. But I believe that we have a really major problem. And the solution for our families as individuals may be homeschooling, but I believe we have an obligation to other children as well to speak about these issues so that other parents are not deceived into thinking their children are receiving an education when in fact they're simply being babysat so that parents (coughs) may be able to work. The advantages of homeschooling allow for review and testing to be administered when it's timely and when it's adequate. It doesn't require busy work, it doesn't require the child to repeat things over and over again if he doesn't need it, and at the same time if he does need it, he's able to get it just as he needs it. When I was growing up in Ohio, we had a lot of farms, I lived on a farm, we had farms surrounding the area there. And one of the ways you could always get work as a teenager in the Miami Valley in Ohio was cleaning stalls, because there was always work piling up somewhere in Ohio, okay? And so I, I got some jobs cleaning stalls there, and one day I was in a hurry, and instead of really cleaning the stall, I was rearranging it. I was just knocking off the high places, filling in some low places, rather biblical when I think back. But... Uh, not really trying to clean the stall, just trying to make it look good. Well, the farmer that I was working for had come into the barn and was watching this. Pretty soon, he interrupts me with this long, draw. Greg, you in a hurry? I said, well, yeah, I am. He says, well, if you don't have time to do it right, you sure don't have time to do it over. And I realized that if I didn't do it right, he wouldn't pay me. He would wait until I did it right. And so it would seem to make sense that the best way to get it done and to get paid was to just do it. And so I buckled down and I started working and I finished and I got paid. But every time I'm under a scheduling problem or, or I'm under pressure to finish something, to rush it through, to get it over with, his counsel comes back to me. Greg. if you don't have time to do it right, You sure don't have time to do it over. Now think about what we do to our children. If we get in a hurry, if we say to them, Look, we've got two-thirds of the textbook left to go, and we've only got one-third done, and we've only got one-third of the year left, we're going to have to, Come on, kids, let's get these books. Now the problem is, we're not teaching the books, we're teaching the child. And if your child needs a year and a half to finish the first grade in reading or in math, then take a year and a half. Nobody's even going to notice if your child takes a year and a half to finish one grade's worth of work. But if you lay that foundation right, you never have to do anything over. If you take the time it takes to do the job you need to do, You're ahead, not behind. But if you rush through trying to keep some arbitrary deadline that somebody somewhere designed for the average child that you don't have, then you're going to end up having to go back and repeat a whole year's worth of work when your child didn't need a whole year's worth of repeating. He simply needed a little more time to do it right the first time through. It's so much more delightful for a child to be able to do it at a pace that's appropriate to him. No, I'm not talking about indulging a child who is lazy-minded. But I am talking about giving a child who's got needs the time to work through those needs. If you've got a tortoise, if they're so slow-going, but they're heading in the right direction, you give them enough time and they may just pass up that distracted rabbit. You see, we sometimes, we get in such a hurry and we don't realize that we've got a child here who's got his whole life ahead of him and if we can get him pointed in the right direction and if he'll keep going for the rest of his life he'll probably turn out to be somebody more like Thomas Edison who was a plotter, who didn't learn quickly but boy, when he learned something, he learned it well. Thomas Edison, if it weren't for him we'd all be watching television in the dark, wouldn't we? Thomas Edison was a man who was a good example of a homeschooled child. He was homeschooled. He was kicked out of school. The teacher said he was addled. He was probably, from what we can tell from the record, dyslexic. His mother found that he had an interest in science, and so she indulged him in his interest in science in order to get him reading. He was what I call a delight-directed student. And he spent the rest of his life delighted in his studies. That's the difference between a Thomas Edison and some of the other supposedly brighter, more advantaged students out there. Think about that the next time you get in a rush. Take the time to do it right. Review when it's adequate, then move on. And finally, testing can be diagnostic and non-threatening to the child. Testing is not the kind of thing that children should have to be afraid of. They shouldn't have to fear the results so much. Testing should be more like taking your child's temperature. No one ever tries to cram for a good temperature, you know. The whole purpose of it is to, to give some feedback to the instructor so that the instructor knows what to do next, what's appropriate. I remember when I was a kid, I tried once to cram for a good temperature. I, I wanted to stay home from school is what I wanted to do. And so I held the thermometer up to the light bulb next to my bed. My mom came in and looked at that and said, 130, this is terrible
2: to get out of bed.
1: Took me a year or two before I realized why she caught on. But testing should be the kind of thing that your children do not with fear of the results but rather with a desire to give you the most accurate reading so that you'll know what it's time to do next. So that you won't end up repeating things you don't need to repeat and so that you don't rush ahead with something before you've laid the foundation correctly. Tutoring is not available to us in the classroom. We also, with tutoring and with home instruction, have the opportunity to give our children a very special education at home. And by the word special, I don't just mean children who have handicaps and who need remedial help, but those who are exceptionally bright and gifted, children who are easily bored, children who have special gifts that need to be encouraged and supported. You know, I find when I get on the radio and talk to people about homeschooling if I start mentioning people who homeschool who are for instance in the arts or in sports you know we've got kids right now that are over in uh, that are just coming back from the Olympics and they didn't get to the Olympics because they were going through a conventional school program many of them are in special training programs that involve a lot of correspondence school and a lot of learning on the road and They fit their studies in around something that for them at that point in their lives is more important. And the result is is that many of them are excellent students because they're not in the classroom as much as the other kids. Their studies are being pursued on the side while they devote themselves to something very important to them, going for the gold in the Olympics. So when we think of special education, don't just think in terms of the child who has problems, but also those who have great potentials that uh, perhaps are out of the ordinary. Parents can remain the captains of the educational team. There is no need for parents to abdicate to specialists. Specialists sometimes encourage you to. They just assume you get out of their hair, you know, let them take care of your child for you. But the fact is that you don't have to just turn your children over to the specialists, and there is no need for you to shoulder the burden alone you can have the counsel of those specialists without abdicating to them. It's called building a team. And in order for you to build a team, you have to remain the captain of the team for your child. Parents can initi- can take the initiative to become specialists on their child's specific needs. There's. Now, this is something that sometimes people are intimidated by. I I hear all the time, well, how could you possibly be qualified to meet this child's needs? He's got special difficulties or special needs, or he's very gifted. I don't have to become a specialist on every child out there. I don't have to become a general specialist in a particular area. I just need to become a specialist on my child's specific needs. Now, I've got one who has some special needs, Joel, my five-year-old, it, uh, was born with a metabolic disorder called phenylketonuria. Now that means he is what they call the PKU baby, who has high levels of phenylalanine, which of course he cannot metabolize into tyrosine, which you know what happens if you don't do that, you know, I mean, so here's, here I am with Joel, now I can impress my friends at parties, I can talk like this for hours on end, as long as we stay within the realm of PKU in that particular metabolic disorder. You get off into something I don't have and I'm lost. And I don't need to know about all these other things. All I need to know is how to take care of Joel. How long does it take to become a specialist on your child's needs? About six pamphlets, maybe a chapter or two in a book. Six weeks. Give yourself six weeks of high motivation and a little fear of God because you don't know what this is going on and you don't know what's going to happen. And you find you can become a specialist. You can impress your friends at parties too. You can tell everybody all about your child's special needs. Isn't it amazing? Have you ever met parents who have a child who has that Where did you go to college? Didn't go to college, just have one. I've got a kid with that need. I learned, I listened, I talked to people, I read. There's no need for you to sacrifice your other children to one child's needs though. And this I want to be very sensitive to some of you who have felt that in order to prove to God or to prove to somebody that you're a good mom or a good dad, you have poured yourself 100% into one child and you've got three. You can't do that. And you don't need to do that before God. You can give each child what is due him. And you can creatively look for other ways in order to meet the needs of the other children. You may need some out-of-home programs occasionally just in order to give you time to give your other children a little mothering, a little instruction that they need. I don't think we need to sacrifice our normal children to the ones who have special needs, but neither do we need to sacrifice the child with special needs in order to take care of our normal children. God's given us more options than that, but we've got to take the initiative and go out and find those options. There's no need for you to miss out on the best therapy available. You can receive it from others, you can learn about it, and you can provide it in your own home. I am a believer in your ability to become the therapist your children need over a period of time. And finally, a multitude of counselors can advise you. Now your multitude of advisors are going to have differing opinions. On one end, you're going to have this nice little lady over here, probably a midwife, she says, I think I can take care of this child with herbal tea. And there's another one over here who says, bring this child to my office, we're going to operate tomorrow morning, we're going to cut him open, we're going to take out six organs. You know, I mean, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? And you're standing there with the responsibility of deciding whose counsel are you going to walk in. And I believe if you ask God for great wisdom, and you weigh carefully, a multitude of counselors and their multitude of counsel that God will help you make the right decision for your child. You don't need to turn them over to one expert or another. You don't have to flee from the opinions of people you may not always like to hear, but believe me, folks, you need a multitude of counselors because if you don't have a multitude of counselors, you're probably pooling your ignorance with a few uninformed uninformed friends and all it takes is a couple of homeschool moms to all nod in agreement that, yep, sounds good to me. And if they don't know what they're talking about, it's called fooled ignorance. So if you have a child with special needs, go to people who know about that need. Get their advice, but don't take it until you've had time to think about it, to pray about it, and to get some second and third opinions. Don't let them create such a sense of crisis that you have to suddenly... Make a decision and turn your child over to their particular prescription when in fact there may be different opinions. That's why even no matter what you're doing, your own health, the needs of your children, always get a multitude of counselors. What's my authority for that? It's about five verses in the Proverbs. A multitude of counselors gives us safety. That's God's way of saying to you, get a second opinion. Get a third opinion. Get another opinion after that. And then make your decision based upon all of that input. There is no need for you to act on all the advice you receive, but you'll be better off if you know why you're rejecting their advice. You'll be better off if you know why you're saying no than if you're just saying yes to a limited amount of counsel. Okay, you've got another advantage academically, the total scheduling of your home school. What I haven't told you about Joel is the remedy of his particular predicament is diet. Joel is a vegetarian, not for religious reasons, but because he can't handle protein. So he's on a very low protein diet. He's got his own special formula called Lofenilac, and he's he's a, he's big on vegetables and fruits. He's no cheeses, no meats, you know, no uh, certain kinds of uh, beans that are high in protein. He has to stay away from all that. But boy, he loves those veggies and he loves the fruit and he just enjoys that. Do you know what the greatest nightmare of the PKU parent is? The greatest horror story that they can have? School. Because they send their kids to school with veggies and fruit in their lunch pail. And if the child is in the lunchroom and the kids say, Why can't you eat a hot dog? It's not hurting me. See? I don't see any PKU. I think you're just teasing us. You're not really... Here, eat this. Come on, chicken. And you know what happens? Those kids give in. What happens if a child who has a PKU syndrome gets a hamburger? Over a period of time, it stops the development of his nervous system. He just literally stops growing in his brain and his nervous system. And it is an irreparable retardation that sets in. Would you say it's pretty important to keep them on that diet? You know there are thousands of PKU parents out there who cry long hours into the night because their children wouldn't stick to the diet because they were in school. When school starts, these kids have to stand on their own willpower against the pressure of their peers and if, if they want hamburgers, they can find them. You think you have trouble with drugs. They have trouble with hot dogs. And it's just as devastating to their children. But at home, praise God, you've got 24 hour a day, 7 day a week, 12 months out of the year, total regulation of your child's day. You're able, believe it or not, to control his sleeping pattern. You're able to control and monitor the medication schedule, whatever they may be. You can have his dietary needs and restrictions maintained 24 hours a day, the child is under your supervision. Now, you know, when the child reaches about 13, especially with a with child at PKU, at that point, they are stable. Not only stable in that they, are, they can stand up against the peer pressure, but also stable in the sense that their, their nervous system is already well-developed and you're no longer in a situation where any major harm can be done by deviating from the diet. So it's just a matter of giving them more time under this close monitoring. If your child has special therapy needs, you can provide for those therapies at the proper maintenance of the routine that is set for you by the people who know what they're talking about. You can maintain it, and it's not possible or it's not affordable through any other means. How valuable would it be for all the families out there who have children with, with minimal brain dysfunction, with Down syndrome, children with dyslexia, children with various kinds of metabolic disorders and dietary needs and therapy needs, what would happen if the message of homeschooling got to some of those families? Well, it's already happening. And they are coming in droves. And I'm, I'm expecting God to use this to say to the world, that's the way I always intended it to be, for parents to be the captains of the team that meets the needs of their children. You also have a lifestyle advantage. There are economic considerations that I think we need to be honest about when we're talking about homeschooling. Homeschooling is more cost effective because you get more for your money. But let me warn you, You'll have to spend some money to homeschool. People who say, hey, it's a lot less expensive to homeschool. If you want cheap, put your children into the public schools. You don't have to pay for that. You've already paid for it through your taxes. But if you're wanting to just save money on your kids, why not just don't feed them? You know, I mean, that'll save. How much goes to that? But if you're not the kind of person who wants to save money at the expense of your child's health and well-being, then don't expect to do an adequate job in homeschooling without spending any money. But the money you spend is much more cost-effective because it's a liquid investment. When you go out here and you purchase some curriculum, that curriculum becomes a a permanent part of your estate until you decide you want to liquidate. You can take it to the next curriculum fair and sell it to whoever is looking for that curriculum for their following year. You don't have to keep piling up hardback textbooks. You can sell them as soon as you're done with them, or you can save them for the next child who's coming through, if you like that material. And so, homeschooling is more cost-effective because it allows you to get more for your money. When you go to a conventional school and you pay your tuition, you're paying the teacher's salary, you're paying for the desks, the chairs, the lamps, and all the rest. At the end of the school year, you don't get to bring the desk home. The lamp is not yours. All you get is whatever influence the school has had upon your child during that time. But at least in homeschool, even if it's a total flop, you still own the lamp, still got that desk. It is economically more cost-effective than conventional schools. There's a whole lot less expense in school clothes. Because they can wear the same stuff they wear around the house. And they don't become quite so sensitive to what everybody else is wearing either. You know, uh, you will find that they will still have a sense of style. I, I think sometimes, you know, and I think we should be honest, we all lay awake once in a while at night wondering if the kids are going to grow up to be nerds. You know, <laughs> you know we're, we're told, boy, they're going to be so awkward, but the fact is, here we are, homeschooling, for the last eight years. We don't even own a TV and have not for the last 14 years. And Joshua still seems to be able to ask for certain kinds of sneakers with certain kind of brand names. Now, that just tells you, you don't need to be worried about them being out of style just because you homeschool. They'll still have taste. They'll still want... Now, what we've done is we've made Joshua pay... For half of some of these things, if he wants them, he has to pay for them out of his business activities, and so home business opportunities abound for your students. There are lots of things your children can do, and, I, and please don't try to start a homeschool business in the sense of a business that that caters to or tries to sell something to homeschoolers, because the it has a tendency to flood the market. It gets overdone. Rather, come up with a a product or a service that you can market to a larger audience out there. It'll be good public relations for the homeschoolers, and it'll be a lot more profitable, I assure you, because look around you. They're all just like you. They're not spending a whole lot of money on mittens, you know? I mean, And there are a lot of people who are starting little businesses that are prospering. But I'm encouraging you to think in terms of the the larger market, not thinking of something to sell to other homeschoolers all the time, but these business opportunities like landscaping, garden work, uh, lunches, service, shopping services for elderly people, all kinds of things that your students or you with your students can do that actually generate an income. Now beware, your goal is not to turn your children into money-making. Uh, something to be used to make money, but rather to give them the experience and the skills to put what they're learning into practice and to generate the income needed to cover their extracurricular activities. That's what we do. Joshua has to pay one half of his gymnastics fees. He has to pay one half of his piano classes. He has to pay for half of his more uh, unnecessary clothing purchases. You know, we, we look at it, we decide what we're willing to pay. If he wants something else, he has to spend some of his own money, and even then, he has to clear it with us, we have to approve it. And so these kinds of things do make a difference, especially if you're on a tight budget. Realize that when you get up into around the age of 10 and 12 and 13, your children can begin to do things that generate an income to underwrite the cost of their studies or their extracurricular activities. In Psalm 112, verses 1 through 3, we read, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. I'm sometimes uh, wondering whether or not we wouldn't see mightier households if we would invest more in our households. Now, I'm not saying, in, as opposed to being generous to others, I'm saying rather than investing in other men's households and other men's businesses, instead to invest in our own household, in our own business interests, and in our own children and their business interests, because the return is not only financial, but it also contributes to our children someday being mighty in the land. According to Doctor Whitting. As I shared, we'd come back to her again. She found in her study of children three to 10 years of age and families from six cultures around the world, she says, we found that children who participated in the family economic pursuits were more altruistic than children who had only household chores to perform. In societies where the only tasks that a parent could assign were house cleaning chores, the children showed proportionately less altruistic behavior. It is our hypothesis, she writes, that the belief that one is an essential contributor to the economic welfare of the family reinforces helpful and responsible behavior. Now, think about that. Keep this quote. Someday somebody may say to you, you're exploiting your children. You're using them for child labor. And you can point to Dr. Whiting and say, listen, we want our children... To have a sense that they're part of the family team. We are not in any way exploiting them. Everything we do is entirely above reproach. But we do want them to have a sense that they are not just luxuries in our lives. That we need them. That we need them to be learning faithfulness and diligence and skill. And a desire to grow up rather than just to get bigger without getting better. You see, when children have that sense of responsibility, they tend to do just that. They grow up, and they become much more of a blessing to others. And finally, you have the freedom just to be a family. Homeschool families are freed from the demands of regular school hours. More time can be devoted to extracurricular sports and activities without stressing the child as a family. My son is a gymnast. Some of you may be aware of that, reading about him in the teaching home occasionally, but uh, the year before last, he won the state championship in Oregon in gymnastics in his particular class and age group. This last year, skipping an entire class, he was able to come in second place in the state and fifth in the region in gymnastics. Now this year he's working in a very rigorous, very difficult uh, area. It's a class two optionals which puts him in with kids that are 15 and 16 years old and it's going to be hard for him. We don't know yet what it's going to, whether he may lose this whole season but boy he's stretching. He's, he's really striving for excellence because he's not just competing with kids his age, he's got some role models and some guys he wants to be like And do you think Joshua's been uh, watching the Olympics as it's been going on? We, we borrowed a video monitor and we managed to be able to get the tapes of the, of the Olympics. And I don't know how many times he's watched some of those tapes, but he just keeps on and keeps on. So we were able to, to be a part of that. It's important for them to have that type of an interest. I'm encouraging Joshua to really devote himself to his gymnastics and his piano and his business interests. But do you realize it would be pure burnout if he was doing all of this in addition to spending a regular school day outside the home. Because Joshua does these things instead of going to school, because he gets his schoolwork out of the way in the mornings, Before lunch, in most cases. Because he's over in the office with me, learning how to use the computer, managing his own business interests. I don't know if some of you picked up his kid stuff order form back there. It's a blue sheet that says kid stuff at the top. Joshua wants you to pick one of those up. He won't be able to stay in gymnastics if you don't pick one of those up. But he offers pen pals and stationery. Okay, so here here we've got a student who is very, very busy. And if we were bound to regular school hours, we would not be able to do all that we're doing. We have freedom to be the family we believe God's called us to be because our children can be with us rather than our having to send them out to get their education. We're free to travel anytime we want. Two weekends ago, I was able to take Joshua with me to Orlando. Orlando. For the homeschooling workshop there. We had 800 there that weekend. Joshua helped manage the tables. He was my gopher for the weekend. He helped carry things and did whatever I asked him to do. He enjoyed the time together. No, we didn't go to Disney World. No, we didn't go to Disneyland or anything. But we had a good time. We visited with other families there and Joshua traveled with me. It's one of the advantages of homeschooling. Your children can be with you as you go out and do whatever is wise. And finally, the family can integrate its business, educational, and recreational activities as it chooses rather than as other institutions outside the home might prefer. These institutions outside the the home are having an incredible impact upon the family today, and I have included the church among those institutions. You see what's happening is the family is being pulled apart because the school doesn't talk to the church about what do you have going this week. Do they? Has anybody's school ever called the church and said, hey, what do you have families doing this week? Are we uh, over-scheduling the members of this particular family? That doesn't happen very often. Neither does the school or the church call you at work and say, hey, what's going on at work? Are we overloading you? No way. These institutions have plans for you and every member of your family. And have you noticed that most of their plans do not pull you together, but rather take you apart? There's something for every child, there's something for the wives, there's something for the husbands. What does your church provide for the family as a unit that's not in trouble? There's not much, is there? Most churches today are expert at taking the family apart, but they're not very good at putting it back together. And so we find that the family is being pulled apart by the demands of work, the demands of school, and the demands of church. I believe that the solution to this looks something like this. First of all, we can get rid of the school entirely, at least for a season. We can instead Teach our children at home and put them into a program that responds to not only their needs but also our needs as a family. Secondly, we can present ourselves to the church as a family and ask to be put into the service of the Lord as a family, as a unit. It might, it might help if we quote verses like, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. And that includes our children. He's put us together as a family. We want to serve as a family. We're offering to serve. We'll mow the lawn, but we want to all mow the lawn. My wife will bring the lemonade. My kids will rake. I'll push the mower, but we want to serve as a family. You need graphics done? Great. We'll set up a graphics department in our home. And we'll be the graphics department of the church. But we'll apprentice our sons and daughters in the graphic arts. But we want to do it as a family. Please don't take us apart. Please help us serve the Lord together. And ultimately, I believe that we could unify ourselves by devoting ourselves, as Paul writes in Thessalonians, making it our ambition to lead a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, just as you've been commanded, so that you can behave properly toward outsiders and not have any needs not be dependent on anyone does that sound good to you it's a commandment it's a commandment and the only way that it seems to me to be possible to keep that commandment is for us to take charge of our lifestyles and start designing the lifestyle that responds to the Word of God if our culture says you cannot be a fully devoted Christian then it's time to change our culture not change our convictions. It's time for us to design the kind of family life that says to the world, this is the way God intended it to be. He wanted our homes to be embassies of the kingdom of God. He wanted the family to be free and independent so that it could serve effectively all those outsiders who have so many needs. God has called us to lead that quiet life. As we close this session, I ask you to consider seriously homeschooling, not just for its educational advantages, not just for its social advantages, but for its lifestyle advantages. It's the only way I know for you to fulfill the spirit of what is in this passage and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Some of you may be very nervous about the idea of homeschooling. I want to encourage you that it is not an all-or-nothing, take-it-or-leave-it decision. The threshold for homeschooling can be as low and easy as you choose to make it. You may choose to start with a preschool or kindergarten program. Is that real homeschooling? You bet it is if your heart is in it. I know families that have been homeschooling since their children were conceived, let alone born. After school programs, your children need assistance in the school they're in, no matter what it is. You can begin the homeschool lifestyle while they're in school in preparation for what you may want to do later. Summer school. They're going to be home anyway. Why not? They're going to be bored after the first two weeks. Why not begin your homeschool adventure when there aren't any truant officers looking around? And finally, travel studies. Your children, if they're going to be with you on your next vacation, you can make that vacation more of an educational outing, more for the benefit of their time and eternity rather than just paying off debts to relatives and so on. But I do believe that the greatest advantages of homeschooling will only become practical for you when your children are no longer under the constraints of the regular school system. It has not been designed with your child's interest in mind. It's been designed with the school administration's needs in mind. That's not intended to be an insult, but rather just a statement of fact school administration requires a certain amount of that type of thing, but you don't need it. And if you keep your children at home, I believe you'll find all these advantages become yours and they just continue to open up into a broader and broader blessing.
3: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com. By phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L-3-T-5.